What's up, y'all? <laughs> we are in a new series. Uh, over the next couple weeks, we talked about how we're doing these game shows for the next five or so weeks, but we're also going to be in a new series. And one of the cool things about starting a new series for me is... I love looking at different topics. I love looking at different books of the Bible. And my favorite thing by far as a speaker, my favorite thing to do, uh, Jason typically hits in on this for Bible study on the weekends, but whenever we're doing like a book study or going into a specific book of the Bible and looking at what that book has, I love it. My favorite thing to do in this world is to take a passage of scripture and look at the passage and just talk about it. That's my favorite thing in the world to do. I've loved it since college. My favorite pastors that I like to podcast and listen to, that's what they do. They take a book of the Bible and just go through it. So what we are going to be doing over the next five weeks is we're gonna be looking at the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Colossians because that's where we are going to be. Um, I get the privilege of kind of kicking this thing off. Um, Originally, uh, Jason was supposed to be speaking tonight. Jason has pneumonia, so as a side note, if y'all could be praying for him, because that's kind of a, a nasty thing. He's got all kinds of issues in his chest and that kind of stuff, so if y'all could be praying for him. But as I started looking at the book of Colossians, there's one passage in there that has stuck with me for years. It's my favorite passage in the book of Colossians. It's one of my favorite passages to pray over people. And that's where we're gonna dive in today. But before we get started, I wanna give you guys a little bit of context, okay? Context. It's the brief surroundings of scripture so that you know exactly what's going on in the book, what's going on during that time period. And for the book of Colossians, it was written by Paul, okay? Everybody got that? Paul wrote Colossians. He wrote it to a group of people named the Colossians. Rocket science, right? So he wrote it to the Colossian church, which was located in Colossae, which was in modern-day Turkey. So it's in Asia Minor, that general vicinity. So that's where this uh, letter was written. Now, the church in Colossae was started by a guy named Epaphras. Now, my sixth graders and seventh graders that have studied with me at uh, Chick-fil-A know that I like to call Epaphras Epap. That's my boy. And uh, whenever I say his name, I'm gonna call him Epap. That's just what I do. And so Epap leaves Ephesus. He goes in, he starts this church. And he gets started. It starts growing very quickly, okay? People are coming to know Jesus. People are loving the people around them. They're sharing the gospel. And this church is growing significantly very, very fast. And Paul and Timothy hear about this church often. And they're hearing about the love that these people are sharing with the people around them. They're hearing about all the great things that this church is doing. And they're super excited. And Paul prays for this church over and over and over again. But one of the things that you start to see happen in this church is they weren't paying attention to doctrine very much. They weren't paying attention to scripture, the standards that God had set. And they hadn't done anything wrong, but they had allowed certain people in the church to start speaking things that were incorrect about the Bible. And they were speaking things that were kind of taking the focus off of Jesus and putting it on other things in the area. So Paul sees this, he hears about this, and he wants to nip it in the bud really quick. He wants to end it like that, okay? So he writes this letter, and he starts off praising this church because they're doing awesome. And we're gonna dive straight into the passage that we're going through because he starts this letter off in verse nine with a prayer. He tells them the prayer that he prays for these people all the time. That'd be kind of cool, right? You hear somebody's been praying for you day after day after day 
and he tells you exactly what he's been praying. That is the position the Colossian church is in. And in verse nine, you see Paul write, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's epic. If somebody's praying for you like that every single day, that's awesome. And one of the things you see here, Paul asked for three things. When he's praying to God for this church, he's asking for three things, okay? And we're gonna dive into those things. And the second half of the prayer, you see why he has the ability to pray for those things over those people. It's kind of split into two sections. So the first three verses, we're going to talk about the three things Paul's praying for. The second three verses, we're going to pray why Paul has the ability, why these people have the right to get those three things. Does that make sense? Yes? No? You get it? All right. So... If we start off, verse nine, that's where everything gets started. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. He's praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The thing that he's praying in this moment, in verse nine, is he wants them to be wise. He wants them to be wise. You can write that down. He wants them to be wise. Now, if you look throughout scripture, Wisdom is one of those things that stands out. It's one of those things that changes so many people's lives. When you look at Solomon, one of the most well-known people in the entire Bible, the thing that made him famous was when God gave him a request. God told him, I will grant you one wish. I'll give you anything you want. The thing that Solomon asked for was wisdom. There are entire books of the Bible written about how to get wisdom. The book of Proverbs is one of them, where it's talking about how to be wise with your money, how to be wise with your relationships, how to be wise in avoiding temptation, how to be wise in avoiding anger, and teaches you how to be a wise young person. Uh, For example, in Proverbs 1-7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you keep going to chapter four of Proverbs, it says, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. And the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Even David talks about this in Psalm 37. He says, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. And in the New Testament, James talks about wisdom like this. He says, but wisdom is uh, from above. It's first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. As Christians, one of the things that we need to run after, that we need to run hard at, is wisdom. It even said in one of those verses that we need to seek wisdom with everything we have. This is why wisdom is so important. Wisdom changes your decision making. It changes the way you think about things. When you have wisdom, you've experienced different things in life and it changes like, hey, I should run in front of this car. No, you should not because that's not very wise. It's not very safe either. Wisdom is how you treat the different people in your school. Thinking about different situations, how are you gonna tackle this? Wisdom changes your decision making. It changes your thought process. 
Wisdom is super, super, super important. So he wants them to be wise, but he also asks for something else in chapter 10, or in verse 10. He says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Those two things are kind of linked together. Because I said that wisdom changes your decision making. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord comes from being wise. If you're walking in a way that's pleasing to God, if you are being a light for God, it's because you have sought wisdom from God. So that when you're walking in your schools, you're thinking about, should I live the way Christ wants me to live or should I live the way that I want to live? Which direction should I go? When you're being a light for God, you're sharing the gospel. When you're being a light for God, you're treating others the way that you want to be treated. When you are being a light for God, other people in your school can look at you and tell that there's something different about you. That's one of the things that happened to me. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17 years old. It was January 25th. I, through a random event of circumstances, I remember the date, but I remember that after that change happened, I truly surrendered my life to God and I wanted to live differently, so I started seeking God on what I should do. So I started changing the music that I was listening to, I started changing the music that I made, uh, so I was no longer rapping filthy and cursing and all that kind of stuff. I started changing who I was hanging out with. I legitimately threw movies away. Like I went through my movie cabinet because I was obsessed with Adam Sandler and I went through my movie cabinet and I was throwing away Adam Sandler movies. I was throwing away Eddie Murphy movies. All these comedies were my heroes where I wanted to go on SNL. I was throwing away the movies of my heroes that I wanted to be. And I started deleting music off the computer and all this different stuff and I was taking all these things and seeking after God with wisdom, but one of the things that started to happen was my friends started to notice a change in my life. They started to notice I wasn't cursing anymore. They started to notice that I wasn't telling the same jokes I used to. They started noticing that I was treating different people nicer. I wasn't being as much of a jerk anymore. I quit the baseball team. Well, I didn't try out for the baseball team senior year. I made it junior year, I was supposed to have a starting spot, and I decided I'm not playing. That was a shell shocker that shocked my friends. Instead of going to senior week with my friends, like right after we graduated, going to the beach and hanging out, I did vacation Bible school. And I pretended to be Peter. I dressed up in a robe and like tried to walk on water in a kiddie pool and flailed around and started like splashing around on stage, got the microphone wet and ruined it, like that kind of stuff. I was doing that, just in a dunking booth. I was doing different things because God had changed me. He had given me wisdom on how I needed to behave and I started walking in that, trying to be a light in the midst of my school. Now, I wasn't perfect, I fell short. I made a bunch of people mad, it happened, but one of the things you started to see was my friends' opinions of me started changing. I had different friends that when they would stop doing drugs, for six months. They would come to me because they knew that I would be happy for them. They knew I'd be proud of them. When they started, they stopped different sin habits in their lives, they came to me. When they had spiritual questions, they would come to me. My friend Benji still asked me for different books he should read, and I'll send him different names and stuff like that. He currently has a couple of my books, and like, they ask me spiritual questions because they know they can trust me. They know not only do I say that I love Jesus, they know that I act on it. 
Not only do I know about God, but I'm walking with him. And that means all the difference. And the third thing out of these verses, in verse verse 11, it says that he wants them to be strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Strengthened. Running after steadfastness and patience. So, if you're keeping count, first one, he wants us to be wise. Second one, he wants us to be a light. The third one, he wants us to be steadfast. Steadfast. Now, when I think of steadfast, the things that I think of are war movies or sports movies, like those big epic ones where uh, in the championship game, the team's down by like 30 and they get up and they pump each other up and they go out and score 30 points the next half. Or in a war movie when they're severely outnumbered, like in 300 or something, when you've got all the Persians coming against them and they're like, they're not gonna move us. And you have these big epic moments. I think of William Wallace when he's looking, he's like, they may take our land, but they will never take our freedom. And they'll, like, they'll do all those different things and they'll just be pumped up. And they're steadfast. The odds are completely against them. The, the weight of the world is coming in on their doorstep, but they stare it straight in the face and they keep pushing, they keep walking. That's what being steadfast is. In the midst of troubling circumstances, in the midst of hard things in life, you're able to set your feet in the ground and not move. If you look all throughout church history, Christians have been categorized and characterized by their steadfastness, by their endurance, by their patience. When Christianity started, it was against the law. They weren't worshiping the Roman gods, so people like Nero and Caligula, all these different emperors were coming against them, trying to crucify them, throwing them in the Colosseum, and these people were going to their death, singing hymns, singing praises, not panicked at all. They were steadfast. When sickness was all around them, these were the people that were holding on tight. And you, you see this all throughout the book of Acts. In the midst of bad circumstances, troubling circumstances, when you look at Paul's life, the writer of this letter wrote this letter in prison. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Paul had been shipwrecked three times. He'd taken the cat of nine tails, 39 lashes, I think five times, been beaten by rods three times. He was, most scholars believe that he was partially blind from a time that he got stoned. Like they t- dragged him out of a city and threw boulders on him and it knocked something loose in his eyes. So he's partially blind. Like this guy got beat up a lot. And then like the time that they stoned him, everybody thought he was dead. And Paul gets up and walks straight back into the city to start preaching again. He wasn't moved. He was steadfast. He was strong. He was tough. He was patient. In the midst of hard circumstances, he was willing to look danger in the eye and keep going. As Christians, we're not promised that everything's going to be easy. This world is broken. This world is messed up. There's still going to be sickness. There's still going to be death. There's still going to be pain. Sin has ravaged this world and broken it. But we can be the light in the midst of that darkness. We can be the ones that are able to stand firm in the midst of chaos all around us. And we can keep pushing. 
We can keep going. We can keep moving. And when I look at these verses, when I look at these passages, and I look at the last three, it's the really cool part. Because the reason the Colossians are able to have these things, the reasons they're able to be wise, the reasons they're able to be a light in the midst of the darkness, the reason that they're able to be steadfast and hold firm, the reason they can have all of these things is because of these last three verses when Paul says that joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The reason they're able to have those things is because it's their inheritance. That's the thing they get from their father. He gives this to them lovingly. They get it because it's their inheritance. Because, it's their inheritance because for he rescued them from the domain of darkness and transferred them to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. The reason the Colossian church is able to be wise, the reason they're able to be a light, the reason they're able to be steadfast in their lives is because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Because he lived a life that we were supposed to live, that perfect life that we were unable to. He lived that life for us. He went to the cross, taking our punishment, carrying that cross all the way up the hill, taking our sin, putting it on his back, getting nailed to that cross, dying a death that we deserved. And he didn't just stay dead. He conquered that death. He resurrected from that death, showing that he has dominance over it. And because he has dominance over death and over sin, we can have a relationship with him. We can have a relationship with the almighty God who loved us so much that he was willing to give up his own life. That's cool. That puts us in the same boat as the Colossian church. That puts us in a position where when we look at our lives, when I look at my life, I see all the sin in my life. Because in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of that sin that every single one of us commits is death. The thing that we deserve is death. That is the payment for our sin. So those little lies that we tell, the things that we take that don't belong to us, that jealousy, that anger, the things that we don't think are such a big deal, they're kind of a big deal. They separate us from God and make us not able to have a relationship with him. And that sin, because of that separation, God decided to do something about it. And in Romans 5, 8, it says that even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took that sin and paid for it on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. So when we look at this passage, when we're wanting to be wise, we're wise because of Jesus. When we're wanting to be a light, we can be that light because Christ is the one shining that light through us. When we're wanting to be steadfast and hold fast in the midst of troubling circumstances, in the words of Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because Christ will get us through it. Because he's the one that owns it. He's the one that'll conquer it. He's the one that'll dominate it. Because he loved us that much. So as I look at it, This is a passage of scripture that I pray over you guys all the time. 
I pray that you guys would be wise. That when people look at you in your schools, that they would be able to come to you and ask questions. Not because you're perfect, not because you know all the answers, but because when they look at you, they see Jesus. And they see somebody that's trying to learn the answers. They see someone that's seeking after God. When I'm praying for you guys, I pray that you would fall in love with the gospel and be able to share it with other people. That's why we preach it every single week. We don't preach the gospel just to flap our gums. We preach it hoping that it will sink into your heart so that you can share it. Y'all are just as capable as us of being able to take the gospel into your schools and share it with other people. I pray that you guys would be that light in the midst of the darkness. And I pray that when tough times happen in your schools, that a person that they can anchor onto is you. That's what I want so much for you guys. And as I look at this room, I, I, I see a, a, a passion for that from some of you. But I also know that some of y'all don't have that relationship. Some of y'all don't have that relationship with God that has changed your heart, changed your soul, changed your desires. You've never surrendered your life to the God that gave everything for you. And you look at what you can have and you want that. And you want those things. And it's simple. It really is. To have that relationship, it's simple. You just have to talk to God. It's not any magic incantation. It's not anything drastic, but talk to God. Give him your heart. Give him your life.